Welcome in, everybody, to episode 165 of the podcast that is sweeping America, the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. All right, great show today, guys. So today is kind of that week where we kind of transition almost full-time from basketball to football where the two sports overlap. For people who follow the basketball side, we're going to have a little basketball. For the football, we'll have a little football. So let me explain. Basketball. This past weekend, Peach Jam, widely regarded to be the top high school AAU tournament in the country, that went down, and I'm going to have a special guest on, Jack Pilgrim from Kentucky Sports Radio, was actually at Peach Jam. And we talk about all the big stories that came out of Peach Jam. If you are a college basketball recruiting nerd, this is the conversation for you. We go over all the big names. So there's a kid named Cade Cunningham, number two ranked player in America. His brother just got hired at Oklahoma State, and everybody wants to know, is anybody besides Oklahoma State going to be able to get this kid? Jack talks about that. There's a kid in Folly Dante, a big man who may reclassify as considering Kentucky, Oregon, LSU. Does he reclassify? Does he play college basketball this year? Jack has some information on that. And we actually talk a little bit about Imani Bates, who is a player that many people consider to be the best player in high school basketball and he just finished his freshman year of high school basketball. So he's 15 years old, and people are saying he's the best long-term NBA prospect in high school basketball player, the next LeBron, the next Kevin Durant, the next whatever. So I'm going to talk to Jack about it. I'm also going to lead the show in a moment with Imani Bates because I do think the hype, I think it's a little bit much. So I'm going to explain that. And then from the football perspective, I think you guys all know SEC Media Days is on Monday, and I'm going to start talking a little football. And I'm going to start with one of my favorite things that I do every offseason, and that's this, the college football over-under win totals. I think most of you guys kind of understand how it works, but every summer, Vegas comes out with an over-under win total for every team in college football. And basically, what that means is they project how many wins they think that that team will get, and then you can bet if they're going to go over that win total or if they're going to go under that win total. And if you get it right, you obviously make a little bit of money. So it's really simple, right? You're a um, you're a Ohio State fan, and the over/under win total is ten and a half wins. You have to bet: Are they going to go over ten and a half wins, which means will they win eleven games or twelve games? Are they going to go under ten and a half wins, ten, nine, eight, seven wins? And obviously, you bet it. It's a season-long bet, and if you win, you win a lot of money. I did this last year, um, and it actually worked out really well. I think I went four and one in my bets. The one I missed, by the way, was Washington State, and I totally missed that one. But everybody else, I think I hit. If you followed these bets last year, you made some money. So I'm going to give you my favorite college football over-under win totals, which then, of course, will lead us into football. And later this week, I'll probably have somebody from SEC Media Days. All right, a couple more announcements before we get started. First of all, new sponsor today's show, Blue Chew. I'm going to tell you a little bit about them later. Basically, not going to lie, chewable Viagra-type product. Um, I'll give you some more details later, but Blue Chew is coming up before Jack uh, Jack Pilgrim. And I should remind you, like I always do, like I do every single show, please subscribe to the Aerator Sports Podcast. Do it on Apple Podcasts if you have an iPhone. Do it on Podcast Addict if you have an Android. Do it on TuneIn Radio. You can do it on Pod Paradise. You can do it on uh, Podbean. Also, please make sure to rate and review the show. Five stars are encouraged. Five stars are welcomed. Give me a quick five stars. It really does help this show move up the iTunes charts. Also, make sure you're following the podcast on Instagram, Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast. And finally, if you have any questions, I answer them at the end of every show, or not this show, but most shows, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. All right, so as I mentioned off the top, Peach Jam was this weekend, and for people who know a little bit about college basketball, Peach Jam is kind of the culmination of the entire summer of AAU basketball. It's the best teams that are sponsored by Nike. They come from all over the country. They go to Augusta, uh, Georgia, Augusta, South Carolina, and they play a big tournament. And so all the best high school basketball players are there. Um, if you follow high school basketball, player, basketball Jalen Green, Cade Cunningham, you go on and on down the list, all the big names were there. But the story, and as I said, I'll talk to Jack Pilgrim about it a little bit later. I almost called him Jack Black, which, by the way, would be a sick guess. But no Jack Black, Jack Pilgrim. 
Um, Jack Pilgrim was there. We'll talk about it. But to me, there was one big story that came out of this, and that was the emergence, the arrival, the official er arrival of Imani Bates. And if you follow high school basketball recruiting, this kid is, it's not really news to you, but for people who don't follow it, here's what you need to know about Imani Bates. He is a guy that virtually everybody who does this for a living, the guys who follow high school recruiting, Evan Daniels, Corey Evans, Andrew Slater, they say he is the best freshman, the best 14, 15-year-old prospect they have ever seen. And I respect the heck out of those guys' opinions. I'm not here to say they're right or they're wrong. But this was kind of the first weekend that this kid, so Evan and, and Corey Evans and all them, they go see these kids year-round. And so they've probably seen them two, three, four times at Team USA and in AAU and in high school and all that stuff. But for most of kind of the national media, this was the first time that they got a chance to see this kid in person. And so what ends up happening is inevitably all the big writers write articles about him. So my buddy Rob Douster, friend of this show, wrote an article about Imani Bates. Um, Matt Norlander, CBS Sports, wrote an article about Imani Bates. And I think if there was one story that came out of this weekend, it was the emergence of this kid, Imani Bates. 15 years old, people are already saying he is the best high school basketball prospect in America. In other words, if they had to bet their careers on one guy becoming an NBA superstar, it would be this kid. And if you've never seen him play, you can go on YouTube, but he's about 6'9", can handle the ball, can shoot, can score, can do this, can do that. And again, he's getting a lot of hype. Not going to lie. I, I don't think, and I, I follow this stuff pretty closely, I don't ever remember a kid this young getting this much hype. But I do also, I'm not going to lie, I, I kind of worry that it might be too much too soon. And I feel like we do this every year. I feel like every year there's a kid that we say, oh, he's the next LeBron or he's just like KD or, um, you know, he's, he's the best high school player in, in America and he's only a freshman. And they never live up to the hype. And I'm not saying, again, to be clear, I hope, I hope you guys understand. I'm not criticizing the people who say that. I respect the heck out of what Corey Evans, Corey, uh, Evan Daniels, Andrew Slater, guys like that do. But... This was the weekend where he kind of emerged, and I think it's too much too soon. Now, look, I get why this has happened, right? So first of all, again, you know, this is a kid that um, is doing things at that kind of age that few people have done. He's got all the physical tools. He's six foot ten. He's a big kid. He's athletic. You just don't get kids that big, that athletic, that skilled at that age that are this good. And I'll be honest, I've seen him. I, I would never say I've seen him as much as those guys. I've seen him. I think he's really, really, really good, really, really, really advanced for a kid that age. But I do worry that it is too much pressure to put on a kid. And what I mean by that is this. Like I said, I feel like every single year we have a kid just like this. Maybe not quite as hyped. Maybe not quite as advanced. But every year we have some iteration of a kid just like this. And you think I'm crazy, but look... I've been following college basketball for 25 years. I mean, I can go back to Felipe Lopez being on the cover of Sports Illustrated in 1994, I believe, the fall of 94 into 1995, before he ever played a high, uh, before he ever played a college basketball game. And guess what? He wasn't the next Michael Jordan. He was good. He played in the NBA. He wasn't Michael Jordan. He wasn't cover of SI kind of good. Again, every year. There's guys, remember Renardo, Renardo Sidney? Same deal, 14 years old, six foot nine, different kind of player. He was a low post player. He was dominant. He was physically stronger than all these other kids. But I read stories when he was 14, 15 years old. This is the best high school player in America. This is the best basketball player in America, and he's only a freshman in high school. What happens, most of you guys know, parents get involved, agents get involved, by the time he's a senior in high school, I don't even know if he was a top 20 player. And never ended up playing in the NBA. He went to Mississippi State. There were problems, academics, this and that, da 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 Never ended up playing in the NBA. More recently, I just said it, Andrew Wiggins. Now, you guys are going to laugh because Andrew Wiggins is in the NBA. But, like, Andrew Wiggins had this hype. There are articles online. Andrew Wiggins was, at times, by some, and I'm not saying everybody, because I don't think a guy that does this like Corey Evans, like Evan Daniels. I don't think they throw around these labels loosely, but there were people, maybe not those two specifically, that said Andrew Wiggins is the best high school prospect since LeBron. 
Andrew Wiggins has been a good NBA player. Andrew Wiggins has been a nice NBA player. But, I mean, is he a top 50 NBA player? Is he a top 30 NBA player? He's good. He makes a lot of money. But I wouldn't say he, he's lived up to the hype. I don't think you say he's lived up to the hype at all. Never led his team to the playoffs. LeBron was a five-time All-Star by the time he was 24 years old. Andrew Wiggins is 24 years old. Never made an All-Star team. And so I do worry a little bit about it from Imani Bates' perspective. And by the way, a couple things. One, I hear nothing but good things about the, the support group around him. So I don't think this is, you know, he's being thrown to the wolves at 13, 14 years old. His dad played professionally. His dad's kind of, you know, a bubble, a cocoon around him. So I think he's kind of shielded from some of this stuff. But he's 13, 14, you know, he's just turned 15 years old a few months ago. This is a lot to put on the plate of a kid. And by the way, it doesn't help Imani Bates that he is a freshman. He's part of the high school class of 2022. And for people who don't know, that's the first class that could, in theory, be allowed to go to the NBA straight out of high school. If they change this one-and-done rule, they've targeted the 2022 draft, which would be his draft. So he's kind of already become the face of the next wave of players who can go straight to the NBA out of high school. And so, to me, I do worry that it's too much on his plate because I've seen it before. I've seen kids get th get labeled with these kind of labels. Again, Felipe Lopez, Renardo Sidney, Andrew Wiggins. I'm not saying the hype was as big, but Ben Simmons, six foot eleven guy that can handle the point, gonna change college basketball. He was good. He wasn't great. Greg Oden. People were saying Greg Oden was the best high school player in America as a sophomore. Never even came close to reaching that potential in the NBA. And so I do worry about it. And by the way, it's not to say that Imani Bates won't be. First of all, I, I, I could just be completely wrong. I mean, he could just be get better and better and better, better and better and better. Um. But as kids kind of physically catch up to him, I mean, he's six foot eight, six foot nine as a 15 year old. I mean, I just think that as kids catch up to him physically, that I think the gap is going to narrow. And like, I don't think it's inconceivable that he's considered a really good player, that maybe he's even considered the best player in America, the number one pick in the draft, but that it's not this universal, like, unquestionable better than everybody else by the time that he gets to his senior year. I think I can see a scenario where he might be the number one player in America, but that number two, number three, number four are nipping right on his heels. And so I do worry. And again, I, I, I've told you the stories. I'll give you another story really quick, just how quickly this stuff can change. So the number one high school player in America this year is a kid named Evan Mobley. He's from right here in Southern California where I live, Temecula, about an hour from where I live. He'll probably go to USC because his dad's an assistant coach there. Um... I was doing a story on Evan Mobley. I was talking to his AAU coach. And his AAU coach was laughing. He said, man, I remember Evan, when he was in eighth grade, you know, he was just a pipsqueak. And there was a kid on our AAU team in eighth grade named Benjamin Todd who was the number one eighth grader in America. And so I asked him, I said, well, well what happened to Benjamin Todd? I mean, is he, is he still around? And the AAU coach said, man, I don't know. I don't really know. So I looked him up. The kid Benjamin Todd, number one eighth grader in America, this would have been back in, you know, 2015, 2014, whatever. He now doesn't even have a recruiting page on rivals or 24-7 sports or anything. And this was a kid just five years ago was considered to be the number one player in America. And so with Imani Bates, look, I don't think he's going to fall off a cliff. I don't think he's going to quit basketball. I don't think he's going to be the worst thing that ever happened or whatever. But when we're saying that he is the best high school, that he's going to be the next LeBron, he's 14 years old. 15 years old, he can't even drive a car. I just think we need to pump the brakes. We need to let the kid be a kid and let things develop as they may. I know I wasn't there at Peach Jam, but I find it very hard to believe that there is no doubt, that there is no debate that he is the best high school player in America. I think long term, if you want to make that argument, that's fine. But I just think it's a little too much too soon. And if I were to guess, and I hope I'm wrong on this because I'm not rooting against a kid. But if I had to guess, I would guess that by the time his senior year comes, he's either not the number one player in America or it's not a universal he's head and shoulders above everyone else consensus. I just think we're putting way too much pressure on him too soon. I get it. I get that he is right now the best player. I get that he does have the skill set. I get that he is going to potentially be the face of the next wave of high school players that can go straight to the NBA. I just think it's too much pressure. By the way, 
I heard I was told there was a documentary film crew following him around, and I couldn't help but think, let's never forget the documentary Hoop Dreams started about two of the best eighth graders in Chicago, and it finished with two good but not great college players that never even made the NBA. So I hope I'm wrong. I'm just saying I thought it was too much too soon. Jack Pilgrim and I are going to talk about it a little bit later in the show when he joins me. All right, so that's it on Amani Bates. That's it on basketball for now. I do want to go to a little bit of football. I'll tell you why. SEC Media Day starts today. The rest of the media days will go on over the next couple days, the next couple weeks, et cetera, et cetera. But the reason I bring it up is this. This is like I told you on the top of the show, is that every year I put out my favorite over-under win totals. And again, I think I explained it already, but Vegas puts out a number that they believe that team, the games that that team will win in the regular season. So you're an Ohio State fan. They say Ohio State's going to win 10 and a half games. You have to bet, are they going to go over 10 and a half or under 10 and a half? So I'm going to give you my five favorite picks for college football over, under, win totals. By the way, um, most of these can be found on mybookie.ag, but for those who aren't, FanDuel has also put out these numbers. So the first one, I'm going to give you one that I think is about as close. And and by the way, I I want to reference one other thing, by the way. If you're looking for analysis on Michigan, Ohio State, Alabama in this particular segment, it's probably not going to come because like betting in real life, right? Like the value isn't betting in the NBA on the Lakers and the Warriors. It's on betting on the Jazz and the Bucks and the teams that aren't kind of overly covered and overly, you know, whatever. In college basketball, you're never going to get a good bet in on Duke because everybody bets on Duke. Safer bet is Texas Tech, is LSU, the bad boys of college basketball, LSU, is whoever, fill in the blank. Uh, I'm just trying to think of college basketball programs that are a little bit off the radar. I don't know, LSU, Tennessee, Florida, whatever. But you're not going to bet on Kentucky and Duke and get a good number because everybody's betting on Kentucky and Duke. So I'm not going to talk about Notre Dame. I'm not going to talk about Ohio State. I'm going to talk about some teams that are a little bit off the radar. But here's the first one that I absolutely love. And it is the Utah Utes. Two Utes walk into a gas station. Some of you may know what I'm talking about. So the Utah Utes are set at over under nine wins. And I'm going to tell you to go over. And you might say, Utah, 10 wins. Seems like a lot. Well, first of all, Utah won nine games last year, okay? So they already won nine games. For people who don't remember, they won the Pac-12 South. They lost to Washington in the Pac-12 championship game. They were nearly Pac-12 champs last year. Here's what you probably don't know about Utah, though. They finished the regular season with nine wins. They were at 1.8-2. and Eight and two. And then they were playing at Arizona State. And their starting quarterback and their starting running back, who was a 1,000-yard rusher, Both went down with injury. If those two guys were healthy, that team probably wins the next game, probably wins the Pac-12 championship because they only lost by a touchdown, and they go to the Rose Bowl to play Ohio State. So they bring back those two guys, the quarterback, Tyler Huntley, the running back, Zach Moss, who got injured, and they bring back most of what is a top 20 defense. They also have a very, by Pac-12, first of all, Pac-12, We know it's not as strong as a lot of the other power conferences. They have a pretty advantageous schedule. Oregon, which is going to start the year ranked in the top probably 15, they don't play Oregon during the regular season. They don't play Stanford during the regular season. So those are two teams that are going to be ranked in the top 25 to start the year. Utah doesn't even play them. Utah does play Washington, but Washington loses a lot. They play USC, but USC we know is a mess. USC historically starts really slow. They get USC early in the year. So I like Utah. I like them to go over nine wins. I like them to make us a lot of money. I like them to win the Pac-12 South. I think they might even win the Pac-12. But we need them to get to 10-2, and two, and I'm telling you, it's going to happen. All right, next one. Let's go under. Not my Mississippi State Bulldogs, your Mississippi State Bulldogs. So I am just not a believer in Joe Moorhead. And that makes me sad because Joe Moorhead, their head coach, is a former offensive coordinator at my alma mater, the University of Connecticut. And the guys that I played with swear by Joe Moorhead. They love Joe Moorhead. But he came to Mississippi State last year. He had a top 20 team coming into the season. And he completely ran that team into the ground. 
This was a guy that was supposed to be a genius. He was a quote-unquote offensive genius. And last season, Mississippi State, again, a top 20 team in the preseason, coached by an offensive genius, had four games in SEC play where they scored a touchdown or less. They lost 28-7 to Kentucky. They lost 13-6 to Florida. They lost 19-3 to LSU. And they lost 24-0 to Bama. And so I look at this team. If They, they got to eight wins last year. We're, if they go to eight and a half, that means we're projecting them to go to nine. They were better last year. They lost their starting quarterback, Nick Fitzgerald. They lost three guys who ended up being first-round picks off their defense. And you're telling me they're going to get more wins this year than last year? Get out of here. First of all, I think we can just say Alabama's not going to be a win. I feel pretty confident saying LSU's not going to be a win. I feel pretty confident saying that, um, that, uh, that Auburn, at Auburn, is not going to be a win. So that already right there, that's three wins. You mean to tell me the rest of the season they're going to go 9-0? and I just don't see it. You look at their schedule. First of all, I just said Kentucky beat the brakes off them last year. They got to play Kentucky this year. They got to play at Tennessee. They got to play at Texas A&M. To me, this is one of the safest bets in college football. I see no way that Mississippi State, with your boy Joe Moorhead, is going over eight and a half wins. All right, let's go back over the Michigan State Spartans. I know you guys love Michigan State football. Super sexy. They averaged like four points a game last year. Here's the deal. They're actually a lot like Utah. They're playing really well early in the season. Another team that's like ranked in the top 20 or so. And their quarterback, Brian Lewerke, got hurt. He played through it, but he busted up his shoulder. He played with a busted shoulder. And their offense basically fell apart without with him in the starting lineup. And they were never able to recover. Now, like Utah, they had an elite defense which was able to help them win, um, you know, respectable amount of games. But they clearly were not the team that most people were projecting them to be. But here's the good news. They returned basically everybody off of that defense, which again, was phenomenal. They returned Lewerke fully healthy. I'm not saying he's like Tua. I'm not calling him Tua. I'm just saying he's going to be better than people realize. And then, oh, by the way, here's the other thing. They have a very, by Big Ten standards, an advantageous schedule in this sense. Now, they have to play at Ohio State and at Michigan. Those are probably going to be losses. But again, over under seven and a half wins means they only got to get to eight wins. They can go eight and four. We win that bet. And here's the thing. Four out of their first five games are at home. And of their final four games, Illinois, Rutgers, and Maryland, three absolutely terrible teams. And so I bring that up because the schedule works out really nicely on the front end. It works out very nicely on the back end. They already had an elite defense. I think their offense is going to be better with uh, with the return of a healthy quarterback, Brian Lewerke. I think they get over seven and a half wins. All right, staying in the Big Ten. Let's go Iowa under seven and a half wins. Iowa is one of the great frauds in all of college football. So last year, that team won nine games. And you think, okay, Iowa, nine wins, heck of a season. Go Hawkeyes, woohoo! Like, listen, they're coached by Kirk Ferentz. He's a UConn alum, so shout out to Kirk Ferentz. But they are just a complete and total fraud. They went five and four in the Big Ten last year. Of those five wins, four of them came against teams that didn't make bowl games. So I'm talking about the Indianas, the Marylands, um, the Illinois, schools like that. Well, guess what? Now, you add Michigan to their schedule, you add, uh, they play Penn State, which they lost to last year, and most of their toughest games are on the road. They play at Iowa State, which is going to be good. They play at Michigan, which is going to be good. They play at Northwestern, they play at Wisconsin, they play at Nebraska. So you mean to tell me, very advantageous schedule last year. This year, the schedule gets tougher, they now have Michigan on the schedule, and all their toughest games are on the road? And people think they're going to get to eight wins? I just don't see it. Final one, this one's just kind of a, there doesn't need much explanation. It's Alabama. And I told you I was going to stay away from the big brand name programs, but here's the deal. Alabama's over-under win total is 11. So why do I feel so confident with Alabama at 11? I'll tell you exactly why. It is because, if you think about it, 
Alabama at 11 means this. That for you to lose the bet, they would have to lose two games. When was the last time Alabama ever lost two games in a regular season? It's been a long time. I think it's actually been like 10 years since they've lost two games in the regular season. And so if they go 11-1, and one, the bet's a wash, you get your money back, whatever. They'd have to lose two games in the regular season for you to lose that bet. So those are the five bets that I like. I like Utah over nine wins. I like Michigan State over seven and a half wins. I like Mississippi State under eight and a half wins. I like Iowa under eight and a half, under seven and a half wins. And I like Bama over 11 wins. All right. I'm out of breath. I'm tired. It's been a long day. Long weekend. Um, I want to thank you guys for listening. I'm about to welcome in my buddy, uh, Jack Pilgrim. But again, it was a fun show. So again, we talked to Monty Bates. We talked over under win total. And now it's time to welcome in my buddy, Jack Pilgrim. All right, before we get to Jack Pilgrim, I do want to welcome a new sponsor to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, Blue Chew. Fellas, remember the days when you were always ready to go? You know, you know what I mean. A little younger, a little spryer, a little bit more in shape. Listen, we were all there. I myself, I'm getting a little bit older. Good news is you can now increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed thanks to our new sponsor, Blue Chew and BlueChew.com. Blue Chew brings you the first chewable enhancer with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach, and since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill, so you're ready whenever the opportunity arises. Not going to lie. Guys, you know I just got married. Don't want to give you too many details. Some of you may be eating dinner. Don't want to, you know, again, too many details. But let's just say Blue Chew may or may not have been involved with my wedding night. But uh, it was really fun. So thank you to Blue Chew, our new sponsor. And here is how the whole process works for people who are trying to figure things out. Blue Chew is prescribed online and shipped straight to your door in a discreet package so there's no in-person doctor's visit, no waiting in the pharmacy, and best of all, no awkwardness. They're made in the USA, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships directly, they're cheaper than going to your local pharmacy. Right now, we do have a special deal for listeners of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Visit BlueChew.com and use promo code TORRES and get your first shipment for free. All you have to do is pay that $5 shipping charge. So again, BlueChew.com, that's Blue, B-L-U-E, Chew.com, promo code TORRES. Try it for free. If you like it, if your lady likes it, you come back for more, but the first trial is free. BlueChew.com, promo code TORRES. All you got to do is pay for the shipping. Blue Chew is better, cheaper, faster, and we thank them for sponsoring the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. And now, my buddy Jack Pilgrim. All right, and joining me on the phone now, my good buddy. Covers recruiting, covers basketball for Kentucky Sports Radio. He was on the ground at Peach Jam this weekend. I don't think there's a better person to talk to about everything there is you need to know about Peach Jam this weekend as it pertains to Kentucky and every other school in college basketball. Jack Pilgrim's on the phone. Jack, what's up, man? How you doing? What's going on? I'm good. How are you? Well, I'm great. I'm great. And uh, I appreciate you doing this. Uh, you know, first time, you know, we, we talk basically every day about something to do with work, but it's nice to actually get you on the phone here, talk a little college hoops. Listen, there's a lot of really important basketball recruiting talk that we must get to in a minute. But before we get there, you know, there's this internet, go, th- there's this rumor going around the internet that you and Coach K got into a little, a little, uh, I don't know, scuffle, something in the streets of Augusta. What happened with you and Coach K this weekend? Because that's the rumor floating around the internet. <laughs> so, so you know how there, there's a divider between the games at, at, at uh, Peach Jam, where you can kind of, if, if, if you're a you know, seasoned season veteran at the event, you can stand between both, both dividers and you can watch two games at one time. So um, I believe it was, it was two nights ago, or either, yeah, two nights ago, and uh, Jonathan Kaminga, the number one player in the class of 2021, was playing on one court. And then on the other court, it was uh, the, the number two or number three player in the class of 2021, depending on who you're looking at, Paolo Bancero. So I'm sitting there watching, you know, both both courts at the same time, watching them both. And, and oddly enough, I'm standing next to Jeff Cable, the, you know, Coach K's old assistant at Duke there for a while. Um, I'm standing next to him, and, you know, we're, we're just – 
doing some whispers every time, you know, a good good player would, you know, Paolo would make a good play. We kind of look at each other with that, whoo, man, that was the, you know, the, you know just the, you know, typical, typical man of an often play type stuff. Um, you know, games, you know, halftime comes around, we're getting into the third quarter. Jeff, Jeff leaves to go do his own stuff, you know. Ooh, and, I like that you're calling him Jeff already. Coach. I like that. You guys are close. Yeah, <laughs> yeah of course. And, uh, uh, then Coach K comes up and stands next to me, and, and he's he's doing the same uh, divider divider trick. And uh, of course, I'm not gonna not try to bring up some casual conversation with him. You know, he's Ooh. the greatest college basketball coach in, in history. So of course, I gotta you know bring up something. So after you know me, I'm going back and forth on man, who do I like? Who do I like between these two guys more? You know, Kaminga or Banchero? Man, they're such different different play styles. I love them both so much. So I lean over and whisper, "Hey, uh, you know, you know, not trying to get insider information, more just you know, an expert opinion from the greatest coach of all time. Hey, you know, uh, who, who who do you think uh, is is a better player between the two? Okay. And he looks at and he looks at me and he says, "I'm not going to talk to you about something like that." Really? And he wow. And he scoffs, he, yeah, he scoffs at me. Says, "I'm not going to talk to you about something like that." And he walks away and goes and sits in a chair by himself and. I sit there speechless, like, oh, all right, uh, that's a swing and a miss on my part. But, no, uh, no, 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 no. <laughs> it, it definitely, first of all, let me just backtrack. This definitely was not a swing and a miss on your part. You, As long as you paraphrased, you know, Coach, uh, you know, hope you're having a good evening. You know, you, you know, you got to butter them up a little bit, you know, kind of get the conversational juices flowing. Um I didn't think you were asking for, like, top secret information. Like, you know, I mean, he is by any <laughs> Go, what? It's Go. two of the top players in the country. I mean, I, I mean, I'm literally just. I am not looking for insider. You know, Kentucky has offered both kids. It's not like I'm trying to get the upper hand. Oh, you know, I know, I know. Coach K offered Paolo. You know, I think that night or the day after. So maybe he was just trying to mm-hmm. keep it a secret as long as possible, and and he was just trying. But it wasn't me trying to get. You know, I was wearing KSR gear, so he might have seen the Kentucky thing and tried. You know, he's turned off by that, but. I wasn't trying to get insider information or anything. It was me just, you know, I'm I'm evaluating these guys, you know, for, for my writing and my, you know, for conversations like this where, you know, just trying to figure out who's the better player between two of the top, you know, we were watching two of the top players in all of high school basketball regardless of the class. I'm just trying to get the expert opinion of the best college basketball coach of all time. And, and man, he just... Uh, wow. And and this was this comes after all week. I, I saw him shut down a couple kids uh, with uh, picture requests wow. and auto, auto, autograph requests and stuff. And you know I'm I'm not going to be the Homer, you know, Kentucky guy, just you know hating on Coach K. But yeah, it was a little bit disappointing to my uh, brief encounter with Coach K. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, I, you know I I've been around him enough. Um, yeah, I mean he doesn't really do anything. Uh, extra, you know, outside of his job responsibilities. But what, what's amazing to me is it seems like a perfectly logical conversation to be having. I mean, not only is he, I, I'm, I'm not going to say the best of all time, but he's one of, in the short conversation, he's probably on the Mount Rushmore. But like, he right. has, but he has coached LeBron James, Kevin Durant, Steph Curry. I mean, mm-hmm. he, he is by like any tangible measurement, one of the greatest talent evaluators of all time. Or I would argue if he's not the one of the best evaluators, he has unquestionably been around more basketball talent than anybody in, in probably the history of the sport. Like, I feel like that's a perfectly logical question. So listen, I, you, you could go with that where you want, but uh, I, I don't think you did anything wrong. I think you were being... You know, you were in a social setting. You were trying to be conversational. I don't think there was anything you did, that you did wrong. Yeah, I mean, and, and for me to just come off a conversation with Jeff Cable, who has been his right-hand man for the last, you know, who knows how many years, I kind of thought, okay, well, I did well with the, you know, <laughs> lower lower end guy. Let me let me shoot for the stars and go for <laughs> Coach Freaking K. Let's let's do it. And, and uh, it was a very quick turnaround and and. You know what? Oh well, I got that. I got that opportunity. I can say I talked to Coach K and at Beach Jam, and and nobody can ever take that away from me at this point. <laughs> it's like when you're at the middle school dance, and once you strike up conversation with one young lady, you're like, ah, I can talk to anybody. 
And then you get shot down, and it's like, oh, man, that, that really sucked. That one hurt a little bit more than I thought. Real quick, so for people who have never been to this type setting, I mean, I have been. I've actually never been to Peach Jam, believe it or not, but I have been. Just give everybody kind of a lay of the land when you get there because – I think everybody listening that cares enough to listen to an interview like this understands it is the championship of kind of the Nike summer circuit, um, you know, whatever it is, 64, 48 teams from all over the country, best high school players in America come to one place. But, you know, when you walk into the gym on that Wednesday or Thursday, kind of give people a feel for what it is like kind of to just be at an event of this magnitude. Well, first of all, it is absolute mass chaos. In, in every sense of the word, you drive up, and there are cars in in the grass, up on sidewalks, up on the curb. They are they are fitting cars at, at, at every square inch of the grass and every square inch of, of any side of pavement that they can find. They are are making it happen to get into this event. It is absolutely the most prestigious AAU event of the year. Everybody wants to get their face in there. Everybody wants to see. You know, the, the best basketball players in the country go in. So, you know, once you finally find a place to start, you walk a, a mile and a half to get to the actual gym. There's a line out the door. Wow. And if you're not there 10, 20 minutes early before every game, they'll tell you that the that the actual facility is at max capacity and they turn people away at the front door. I mean, it is the, you know, the, it is the place to be um, if you're wanting to see top-end high school hoops. Um, so, but when you finally get in there, there are just, there's, you know, there's six courts going on at, at one time, six, six games going on at once with all of the top players in the, in the country, players lining here, fans lining the stands, lining, um, you know, there, there's upper rafters for you to, to stand around, you know, there's a walkway up, up in the second level where, you know, um, people can, it's kind of like the runoff, the runoff area for people to be. And it is thousands of people sitting there watching the same games at one time, you know, and, and you know, when it, it's like, you know, the championship game in Folly Dante versus Jalen Griffin. Yes, two guys of that magnitude. And, you know, they, they're just people packed in. You know, it, it is just a, it's a sight to see. You know, the, they cheer for every single play. They go nuts for every high-level dunk. I mean, it is, it is, you know, this is actually my first Peach Jam. I've been to a couple EYBL events in the past. I've been to the Adidas Gauntlet. I've been to a couple ones. But, man, Peach Jam is unlike anything I've ever been to by far. Fantastic. Yeah. And for people who didn't kind of have the visual with Jack and his new friend, Coach K, kind of straddling both courts, it's like they're literally one next to the other, next to the other, curtains in the middle. And obviously, if you're trying to, uh, you know, if you're someone of either Coach K or Jack's magnitude and you want to be seen, uh, you know, you kind of straddle both courts. And uh, there's four or five games, as Jack said, going on at one time. So, real quick, let me ask you, and then we'll get into kind of some of the individual players and all that kind of stuff. You know, sometimes when you have an event like this, there's like a story that's kind of the story kind of coming out of the event or even going into the event. I mean, a few years ago, it was Marvin Bagley. I remember one year, I think our buddy Matt Jones was actually there. Andrew Wiggins blew up and it was Andrew Wiggins versus Julius Randle. Was there like one story that was either the buzz of the tournament, the talk of the tournament? It doesn't have to necessarily be Kentucky related, but that was kind of the overarching, like the big thing that everybody left kind of talking about. Oh, I mean, it, it, what's kind of funny is that there were actually a couple storylines that were kind of, there wasn't one that kind of stole the show from everybody, but it was almost uh, who was the go-to guy in every single class. Okay. You know, with, 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 20, with 2020 guys, you had Jalen Green and, and Kate Cunningham. Those were kind of the two guys that, that everybody, they were watching every single one of their games, and they were, you know, checking stats and checking, uh, you know, that, in fact, they played in the semifinal games, and, or it might have been the quarterfinal set. It late late in the in the tournament they played against each other and man that was that was a uh, about as wild of an atmosphere like I've seen and then of course like I said before the you know the Paolo Bancero and, and um, Jonathan Kaminga that those two playing there in that event that was those high level stuff um, there was a lot of buzz about Infali Dante and, and whether he was going to reply to buy and just how dominant he was against guys in 2020 and how you know there was a lot of buzz like man they. This dude has no business playing high school basketball at, at all anymore. He, he just needs to get his academic situation in gear and, and just go. Uh, and of course, Imani Bates is the big one. That was uh, the first time that all the big level recruiting guys got, got in there. They've seen him at some of the other events, but 
this was him and his element against some of the top guys in, in his own respective class, and, and uh, that was this was kind of the first time that, that his star level and his magnitude of the oh, to see the next LeBron, to see the next Kevin Durant, to see the next generational talent. Uh, this was this is kind of the very the very first event where people kind of got the, the chance to see okay whether is, is this guy uh, what he's hyped up to be. So that was something that I kind of led the show with, and and I was I'm obviously three thousand miles away, but I've seen him play. I think he's a really really special player. Um, but I've also it seems like every year there's a guy that's like oh you know this who this guy. I mean a couple of years ago Andrew Wiggins, uh, you know for people who don't remember, people were saying oh he's the closest thing to LeBron since LeBron. And he's been a good – he was a good college player at Kansas, good NBA player, but, I mean, he's nowhere close to LeBron. Ben Simmons had a ton of hype coming in. Um, you know, you can go back even before that to some other guys. Do you think the hype is too much, Jack? And I, I know you, you were focused on the, a couple guys, not necessarily him. I guess from my perspective it's this, is that I'm not saying he's not worthy of the hype. I'm not saying that – when an Evan Daniels or a Corey Evans, guys that do this 365 days a year, say that he's the best freshman that they've ever seen. Like, I think there's certainly merit to it. When Evan Daniels or Corey says something like that, that's a big deal. But where I kind of, I don't want to say drew the line in the sand, is like, I just feel like it's really hard to kind of figure out what a kid is like at 15 years old and what he's going to project like three years down the road just as a high school senior, let alone as a long-term NBA draft prospect. Again, I know you didn't spend a ton of time evaluating him or looking at him. Do you have any thoughts? Because I, I just feel like, yeah, he's unquestionably better than everybody in his age group right now. He's got an advanced skill set. He's a unique generational talent at this point. But like, I can also see a scenario where I don't even want to say you know he he plunges down the recruiting like like. But I could see a scenario where two three years from now when he's a senior. People are saying, yeah, he's good, but he's like one of the two or three guys in this class, and there's not as much gap between him and, say, number two, number three, number four. I guess the point I'm just trying to get to is, is it too much too soon? Am I overreacting? Again, I wasn't in the gym, so I'll kind of defer to you. Um, I don't. So I think the hype is – I think the, the skill level and the hype is legitimate as far as him as a long-term prospect. I think that – he does have the potential to be a Kevin Durant type player. I mean, he he shoots almost identically to Kevin Durant. He's a a, a legitimate six ten, you know, six nine, six ten guy right now. And you know, you know how young he is. I mean, yeah. for for him to be as talented as he is right now, I think the hype is deserved. But we've also seen. I, I don't know if you remember this. Couple, you know, I don't know if it was six seven years ago. Seventh Wood was the course. the highlight sensation. You watched him on YouTube. He was the the 14, 15, 16-year-old kid, and man, he was, you know, his, his highlights were unbelievable. He was the number one player in his class, and as he got older and people started matching his size and his, you know, his athleticism, and he dropped, he went from the number one player in the class to later, you know, further down in the top 10, and then to the top 20, and then yep. 30, 40 range, and, and, you know, I think we saw that with E.J. Montgomery a little bit, you know, I, I remember he was a... a you know, a, a six foot eight, six foot nine point guard, basically back, you know, a couple of years back, and you know, he still ended up being a top ten, you know, top fifteen type type prospect, but he wasn't the the elite can't miss prospect that everybody thought he was. I think at this stage, I was a little bit worried um, when I saw him in the past. Uh, it was always him dominating. He kind of had the Zion Williamson syndrome, where it, where he always dominated against guys that he was way bigger than, way stronger than, way, you know, he would he just easily outmatched his own age. And I was I was a little bit curious to see how he would compare against some of the, the other top guys in his class, and, you know, even a little bit older than him, that matched his size in his length. And he still put up 40-something points a game and was still dominating the court. So, you know, at... at he didn't prove otherwise against against his height uh, this week at Beach Jam, but um, I definitely need to see a couple of years. I still don't think he ever sees a minute of college basketball by any stretch. I think he's going straight to the league by far, but uh, I think the height as of this second is, is deserved. He hasn't proven anything otherwise, but uh, you know, before we start calling him the next LeBron or the next you know KD or all that stuff, I think we, we definitely need to see uh, a couple more years of the league. Yeah, and and uh, you know I mentioned some of the guys off the top, but like I said, Andrew Wiggins was had 
not not similar hype, but and oh, he's the closest thing to LeBron since LeBron. And you know, I'm old enough to remember there was a kid, you know, probably a little bit before your time, Jack. But uh, Felipe Lopez was the number one high school player in America. He's on the cover of Sports Illustrated before he played a college basketball game. He ended up being a first round draft pick, but like you know. It was after four years yeah. of college and whatever. And so I'm not saying, like you said, if they change the one and done rule, he's not going to college. Even if he, even if they don't, um, you know, there's. I know that there's been a lot of talk even before this weekend that he could go overseas or he could reclassify and go overseas, whatever. But the point is, is that you know, I, I, I just I've seen way too many of these examples of kids that physically are ahead of the curve and I know his skill set is there but are fi- but physically are ahead of the curve and then everybody else catches up kind of what you said with EJ Montgomery you could go on and on down the list of guys I mean I think there's even a kid in this class named Kyrie Walker who you know as a freshman was the number one player in the country and now if you mm-hmm. if you yeah if you look in the rankings he's still a five star and you know I just saw him a few weeks ago at the Pangos camp he's still good but he doesn't dominate his age group the way that he did when he was a freshman. And so I was just curious. I wasn't on the ground. You were, so I would defer to you. I want to talk about a couple guys real quick. So first one you mentioned, a uh, kid named Cade Cunningham. He's from he- the Dallas area, excuse me. Uh, really good player. Um, I think he's pretty much the consensus number two player in this class. There's a kid named Evan Mobley who's probably going to go to USC, who's the number one ranked player. His dad is an assistant coach there. But Cade Cunningham, pretty universally the number two ranked player. Um, I talked to Cade probably about six weeks ago at the Pangos camp. He had just released his top ten. And I think everybody at the time thought, okay, Kentucky, you know, Kentucky's probably in, in the driver's seat. And then for people who don't follow recruiting – this kid, number two player in the rising senior class, uh, his brother was hired as an assistant coach at Oklahoma State. And so kind of the buzz has been that basically, <laughs> whether he wants to say it publicly or not, that his recruitment is basically over because his brother was hired as an assistant coach at Oklahoma State. You were around the kid. I don't know if you got a chance to talk to him or if reporters even had a chance to talk to him. But I, what I would ask you is, is he playing for anybody else other than Oklahoma State? Do you get any sense that anybody else even is, has a shot? No, yes, he is. He is going to Oklahoma State, and uh, yes, I did interview him, or I was I was part of the media scrum that that you know, of course, every time he he and and Folly Dante, you basically had to pull teeth to get either of those guys sure. out for interviews because they they were just it, it was just so frustrating to to get them out get them out there. But when we did get a finally, um, he was very quick to say, "Oh yeah, I am uh, wide open in my recruitment. I'm kind of disappointed that some of the head coaches are." Uh, in my top ten are starting to back off a little bit because they just assume that uh, Oklahoma State, you know, has me locked up, and and you know, it, it was it's funny to see him, you know, kind of say all the right things, but even even still, when he talked about Oklahoma State, he was like, oh yeah, I absolutely love my relationship with their coaching staff. I think my my brother is a brilliant basketball mind, <laughs> and it, it was it was just so funny. He was like, yeah, I'm wide open. Please, you know, please ask me questions about all these. And then the second he would talk about Oklahoma State, it was just him drooling over himself talking about, you know, the Cowboys. And it's just like, okay, dude, we all know. And, you know, just talking to, you know, some of the other recruiting guys there and just whispers with some of the other assistant coaches that, you know, that were, that were in attendance, it was very, very obvious that it is, it's all but, all but done that he's going to Oklahoma State. And you know what? That, that's fine. You know, that's. Uh, we saw the situation last year with Tyrese Maxey uh, and his father at SMU. Basically, everybody and their mother thought that he was going to SMU for the longest time because of you know because his dad was there. And I mean, which we do you blame him? I mean, if if my brother were a high level D one basketball coach and, and I had the opportunity and a scholarship to play at that school, I mean, I admittedly would play for my brother or you know play. You know, if my dad were a coach or whatever, and, and I know Tyrese's dad uh, ended up leaving the program, and it, it worked out that he ended up going to Kentucky, and you never know what, happened, what can happen over the next year. But as of right this moment, I think the, the general consensus is that he will be playing at Oklahoma State, and, and uh, I think the um, the fact that other coaches and, and assistants are starting to catch wind of that and stop recruiting him kind of just says all we need to know about uh, his situation. Yeah, no, and that was – kind of the sense that I got from reading you and, and some other guys that were there. Uh, so you've mentioned this kid a few times, Nefali Dante. Again, I think everybody knows, for people who are like diehard recruiting people, I apologize. I'm going to give the non-diehards some background. But Nefali Dante, big kid. He's about seven feet. He's got long arms. I mean, he's a monster. I've seen him a few times in person. And 
a kid who um, is really, really talented and is old enough, I believe, and you could correct me if I'm wrong, Jack, to reclassify uh, and get to college next season. And so I think that's been basically the buzz for, I don't know, you cover recruiting every day, Jack, so you could answer that. But basically the talk is that he's trying to get to campus for the fall of 2019. Um, you know, everything that I've heard and just talking to other people is that it isn't as close academically as I think a lot of people would hope or a lot of people would want, college basketball fans would want. For people who don't know, he's a kid from overseas. I believe he was born in Mali. English isn't his first language. So there's more kind of logistical hurdles than there would be normally. So I guess I would ask you, Jack, I'll just tee it up for you. Nafali Dante, um, what was the buzz around him? I know you said you had to hustle to get him. Uh, they, you know, Everybody was trying to get a piece of him. What did you learn when you spoke with him? Yeah, uh, I got to talk to him one time. He came out for one one interview, and I was actually the only person that that talked to him. I think actually nice. Corey Evans talked to uh, Corey Evans of Rivals talked to him for a couple minutes. But yeah, it was just Corey Evans and I that that got that got the the inside soup on him. But uh, what was kind of fascinating to me is is the kind of the general consensus with him was that he was dying to go. Um, it was all about his academics. That was kind of the the, the buzz going into it. But after talking to him, it sounded like he wasn't dying to go to go to college right away. I think he's wanting to spend another year in high school and, and do all that. But he knows physically he is way too good to spend another year in, in high school. And I think he wants to be in the NBA sooner rather than later, like like most kids. And I think from a physical standpoint, he knows that it's best for him to go to college right now. And he flat out told me, he said, if I can get my academic situation in order as much as I don't necessarily want to and, and as much as I'm not really thinking about my reclassification, I'm going to do it. I mean, he flat out said, I am going to reclassify 2019 if uh, I can get my academic situation in order. And there were some rumors that it was an SAT that he's waiting on. And, and I still, he, I asked him what was academic holdup. What was, what, was the, what was some of the final hurdles that they're waiting on? And, and he wouldn't specifically say it was an SAT or, a, or any test for that matter, but he did say he had some online coursework to finish up that would uh, basically take care of both his junior and senior year. He's been kind of uh, multitasking at the same time, knocking out both the exact same time. So, uh, But yeah, I think one thing people need to understand is that he is, like you said, English is not his first language. Uh, he's, you know, he, he came, you know, he, he's very new to the game. He's, um, you know, he, he, his situation is just a little bit different than a lot of the other class guys. That, you know, like Ashton Hayes, um, you know, he, age-wise, he was already ready to go. RJ Hampton, age-wise, he was ready to go. Physically, they're there. Um, it was more just crossing the T's and down the I's about, you know, making sure they can they can make it happen. But with him, you know, there, there is that, that worry for him that he, because he is so new to, you know, the English language and that he, you know, he is new to basketball that, um, you know, he might not be jumping out of, you know, jumping as quick as possible to get to the, the next year up. And, and he, I mean, he flat out said that. So um, I do definitely think if he can, you know, here in the next couple of weeks, he said that he's going to sit down, he's going to finish the coursework and he's going to uh, do what he needs to do to at least get eligible just in case he wants to. And I think if he can get to that point, he will jump. Um, as far as I, I was hoping um, you know, as a Kentucky writer, obviously, uh, to hear that um, the Kentucky buzz be a little bit louder after his official visit, and it didn't really necessarily happen. I think I think he definitely enjoyed his time at Kentucky, but I don't think that they're a runaway favorite by any stretch. Um, in fact, I, I've heard some pretty strong rumblings that his his inner circle is is very high on Oregon, and that that they're definitely the team to beat. They also uh, he also mentioned Tennessee and LSU as two other contenders, but. I, I definitely think this is an Oregon versus Kentucky battle, and I might even uh, say that Oregon might have a slight lead right now. But, uh, you know, I, I think next step for him, I don't even think he's worried about a school right now. It's just about making sure he can, if if he can reclassify, he, he's going to do that, and, and I think he's going to go from there as far as uh, the, the wear aspect of it. Very interesting. Um, if you had to put, and I know it's really, really hard to do it uh, in this, um, you know, kind of with, with the limited knowledge that I think everybody has right now, if you were to put a percentage on him playing college basketball this coming year, 2019-2020, what kind of percentage would you put on it? I mean, if I, if, if we can go by his work, say that he's waiting on, uh, on just a couple online classes and finishing up online course work, I mean, he flat out said that he's going to do it if he can make it happen. So I'd, I'd probably say 
you know, probably 70%. I'd probably say, uh, I, I, I've heard that it's, there are a lot of academic hurdles and it's not, like I said, it's not like every other situation where, you know, it's, it's just uh, about finishing up some last second stuff. I mean, it is going to be a little bit of a push to make sure he can get it all done. But, um, like I said, I think physically he knows he's ready to go. I mean, he's a, he's an NBA, he's six foot 11, 240 pounds. Seven foot five wingspan, nine foot two standing reach. I mean, he's a he is physically he's an NBA body right this second, and I you know he's an elite shot blocker. Uh, his offensive moves have have gone just like unbelievable. I mean, last summer last summer when I saw him, I, I was not impressed by him at all. He was just a pure potential guy, and I know I actually heard the rumblings that, that this spring, specifically when you saw him at Tango's camp, or, or where, where did you see him? I saw him actually at the Hoop Summit. Hoop Summit, that's right, Hoop yeah. Summit. Um, I heard from a couple guys that his, that his confidence was just not there this spring, and he actually didn't look very good at all. Um, but when I saw him this week and, and um, you know, watching throughout EYDL, man, he, he has been very, very impressive. His, his post moves have, have grown exponentially. Um, very strong rebounder. Just knows how to use his body um, to box out. Strong, strong kid, and, and physically, he just has no business being in, in high school for another year. So, yeah, it'll be uh, academically, if he can make it happen, I think he'd jump it. So, uh, yeah, I, thought, I, I like that 70% number. Uh, okay, very good. Yeah, I um, yeah. when I saw him, I mean, keep in mind, he was going up against literally like the best of the best in this previous senior class of 2019. So, James Wiseman, Vernon Carey. Uh, and I thought he was a work in progress. And everyone that mm-hmm. has seen him, yeah, everyone, not just you. I mean, everybody that's seen him this spring said it has been night and day. So uh, I'm going to defer to you on that. Uh, last one, and I'll let you go. I'll let you out of here. Is there anything else? I mean, um, for people who don't follow recruiting, I know Jalen Green, you mentioned him, as he's really one of the elite players in this class. He's been that guy for kind of two, three years now him or was there anything else that that a fan that follows you I mean that you would want them to know about what you saw this weekend at uh Peach Jam man I'm very fascinated to know what the heck Kentucky is going to do about their guard situation next year because I talked to Jalen Green and I talked to Jalen Green's father and I and I talked to a couple other people with you know the why not program that he's with and and I'm there's a lot of Kentucky buzz that none of them denied. Every single one of them said, "Yep, it's uh, he, he grew up a big Kentucky fan, and and I think he's going to explore that as as much as he can." And and um, you know, it, there's a lot of Memphis buzz as well. But it, you know, I, I would probably say Memphis and Kentucky are top top two schools by far. But man, I, I would say Kentucky by then, especially with how hard they're recruiting him right now, and, and Joel Justice is is flown across the globe to see him. Uh, Coach Cal, Kenny Payne, you know Tony Barbie, they all three of them, they were all uh, in attendance for every single one of his games. They were, I, I think Kentucky was three D for every single one of his games. So I, I think Kentucky's a favorite for them. But I also heard that they're the favorite for BJ Boston right now. Uh, and I also and, and Josh Christopher, who's a top ten guy in that class. I also heard strong rumblings that that he's dying for a Kentucky offer, and he might be a guy that would commit early if if, if Kentucky really made a strong push for him. He said that uh, he'd be willing to play with. He wants to play with Jalen Green. Jalen Green said he wanted to play with him. Uh, and there's also the Terrence Clark dynamic, where uh, I think Kentucky wants him to reclassify, and he's thinking strongly about reclassifying. I, I talked to somebody at Brewster Academy that said that they don't know how likely it would be for him to do it, just from an uh, academic standpoint, because he is a, a he was a true sophomore this past year, and he is a rising junior, and, and uh, it would be really tough to fit basically four years of high school in three years. And, and they said they just don't see it being a possibility academic-wise. Obviously, physically, he's there. but um, So that whole dynamic of what the heck Kentucky is going to do at the shooting guard position and, and um, how many guys are going to take. I know they're very high on Dacian Knicks, and they want to pair him as a, you know, he's a true passer. You know, he's, a, he's an elite, elite. One, I think he's the best passer in all, all of high school basketball right now. Um, I think they'd like to pair him or Sharif Cooper, one of those two guys at the point guard spot, with you know a couple of those shooting guard guys. But who they go after, I don't know, because they, they are in a really, really good position right now. Um, now there's kind of just this general pessimism around the Kentucky basketball recruiting world that, that you know he's missed out on top three. Coach Kyle's missed out on top five guys lately, and, 
you know, there's a lot of the, oh, Kentucky's my dream school, dream school talk, and they, you know, a lot of times they don't end up going to Kentucky, and, you know, fans, as soon as they hear that phrase, they're like, oh, here comes another kid that's just <laughs> saying this to get, you know, there's a lot of this un, unwarranted pessimism around the program right now that, that I think when they realize just how good uh, Kentucky is in, in position with some of these top guys, I mean, they're, I think they're in strong, strong position with four top ten guys. Hmm. And, and, and when, when, I think when it all comes to fruition, I don't know. I, I'm glad I'm not the one making those decisions because I would offer all four of them and say, screw it, I'll make it work. We'll go small ball, I'll take them all. But sure. uh, it, I, I'm very, very interested to see what Kentucky does with that. And I think uh, Kentucky fans will be excited to see the end result regardless. Well, yeah, I don't know if you saw this tweet. I think it was after, I can't remember, Jaden McDaniels committed um, to Washington. But, you know, listen, I mean, I, I follow Kentucky, you know, pretty as closely as anybody that doesn't live in Kentucky. And, you know, I think there's like this this narrative that, oh, Coach Cal, is, he's not closing like he used to. It's like, first of all, you got, you know, whatever it was, three top, you know, 15 kids, top 20 kids, whatever. Uh, Khalil Whitney and Tyrese Maxey are both McDonald's or uh, both lottery, projected to be in the lottery next year, all that stuff. But I don't know that I've ever seen a recruiting cycle. It was after Kerry Blackshear committed to Florida. I don't know if we will ever know who was actually number two with Kerry Blackshear, but you think about mm-hmm. all the guys Kentucky finished number two on. And by the way, feel free to use this for anything that you need to write on, Jack. But, I mean, this past recruiting cycle, if James Wiseman's high school coach doesn't take the head coaching job at, at Memphis, they get James Wiseman. Um, they, yep. f- they finished number two for Jaden McDaniels, and he stayed close to home. You can't blame him. Uh, they finished number two for Oscar Schwube, or however you say his name. Like, there were ties yep. to – yeah, there were ties to West Virginia. They finished number two for Scotty Lewis, who's awesome. It just – you know, somebody, he likes Florida a little bit more. Uh, I don't – you can answer if it was two, three, four, whatever, but they were right there with Anthony Edwards, who committed to Georgia, his home state school. And so it's like, you know, I understand the Kentucky fan that wants to get every kid. And, you know, obviously early on in, in John Calipari's time at Kentucky, he did close more of the quote-unquote elite, elite, elite players. But, like, you look at this year and – if one or two things breaks a little bit different, if Penny Hardaway isn't the head coach at Memphis, um, you know, if 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 Oscar Schwubwe, and I'm I'm butchering his name, but you know, if his if his guardians didn't have ties to West Virginia, I mean, like like they were this close to, I mean, having like a generationally good recruiting class in 2019, and it looks like they're they're picking up, you know, right there in 2020. Yeah, and, and I think that's one one thing Kentucky fans they they they've been used to being the gold standard of recruiting. So when they do come number two, they go, "Well, we're number one." So you know, what's the disconnect? Why the heck does that happen? In fact, when I was at the McDonald's game, I kind of went out of my way to ask the guys that that have you know Isaiah Stewart was another guy. You know, I, I asked Oscar, I, I asked Isaiah, I asked uh, Scotty Lewis, I asked. Uh, James Wiseman. I asked. I asked all those guys. Um, okay, there's a there's this notion that Kentucky is missing out on their their top target. Um, you know, well, what is it? You were a guy that was being recruited by Kentucky. Um, Vernon Carey was another one. Um, I said, well, you know, you were being recruited by Kentucky. You were a top option, a top priority by Kentucky. What is it? You know, from your perspective, that you didn't that you decided not to you know join that thing. And every single one of them said it was 100% just a situational basis. You know, like you said, James Wiseman had Penny Hardaway. I had a close uh, source close to the Kentucky program that that was genuinely pissed off after the the Wiseman situation and said, "Dude, we had him locked up for two years. Huh. He was ready to commit for the longest time. Uh, he did have close ties to Penny Hardaway, and I think Penny knew for." Several months before he got hired at Memphis, that that was on the table, uh, that that Tubby might be out, and, and that that option was possible, and that's why he was holding out just in case. But Kentucky, Kentucky felt 100 percent that they had things locked up for for a long, long time. You know, they felt very good about pairing him with with Vernon Carey. Felt that they were going to be a Demarcus Cousins, Anthony Davis duo up front. You know, the big bully ball, the finesse long guy. Yeah, they they were very very confident with a lot of those guys, and every single one of them I said they were like, yeah, I wouldn't worry about Kentucky at all because I've heard that they are in great position with the guys right after us, class of twenty twenty. We all love Coach Cal, but we all had our own factors pulling us the other direction, and and none of them made it sound like it was anything specific that oh, but Coach Cal is losing his touch or you know whatever. They just 
every single one of them was a situational basis. So, like I said earlier, I, I just think that this is a uh, Kentucky fans need to roll with the punches, need to understand that, yep, it, they've had a pretty crappy luck, uh, crappy run of luck whenever it comes to some of the elite guys. Um, but I think that this sad luck is, is going to quickly uh, turn turn here in a minute. So, um, yeah, I, I, I'm very, very interested to see how the uh, 2020 class unfolds for sure. All right, very good. Uh, Jack Pilgrim from Kentucky Sports Radio. Uh, yeah, you make sure you're following Jack on Twitter at Jack Pilgrim KSR. Uh, real quick, uh, it, what are you working on this week? I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of kind of recapping and stuff like that. I mean, what do you got for people that, that follow your work and are looking forward to reading your stuff? Yeah, I got a, another big um, update on Paolo Banchero. I got a um, – he told me he told me that um, his his – Whenever he got that call from Coach Cal, he kind of gave me a pretty good story about when uh, uh, Coach Cal called him and talked to him for about 30, 30 40 minutes um, and offered him a scholarship. said that it was a surreal moment talking to Coach Cal on the phone. He, he said it was a pretty awesome moment. Um, you know, just a couple big rundowns of, you know, what I, um, you know, you're actually the first person I told that Coach K story. So I was hoping to... Uh, <laughs> Uh, uh, un- unleash it to the public in some form. I don't, you know, I don't want it to get public by, you know, too much because, you know, I don't want to throw him under the bus or throw the Duke, Duke program under the bus too much. But, you know, I'd, I'd like to slide that into a, maybe a 10 observations post I had at, a, you know, had at Peach Jam, something like that. So be on the lookout for a couple other uh, small recruiting tidbits and, and uh, maybe an observation post here, here in a little bit about uh, my time at Peach Jam. All right, again, Jack Pilgrim, Kentucky Sports Radio. Uh, Jack, man, it was fun. I appreciate the time. And, uh, yeah, my hunch is we will probably do this again soon, my friend. Absolutely. Let me know whenever you want me to have, have me back on. I'll be here.